All right, well, good morning and uh, welcome again. Uh, as Pastor Abe said, today we are concluding our series, Faith and Finance. For the past seven weeks, we've been talking about what the Bible says about money. And we've talked about some really big topics, right? Like earning, spending, saving, giving, these really uh, important biblical principles like uh, stewardship, contentment, trust, and generosity. But today as we, we wrap up the series, we're going to talk about something a little bit more specific, uh, the practice of tithing, or, or more specifically, this idea that perhaps we are called to give 10% of our earnings to God or, or the church. Now, this is obviously uh, a challenging topic. Uh, I think probably one of the most common criticisms that you hear about the church in today's society is they just want your money. Uh, I remember having a conversation uh, with a family member several years ago, not on my side, this was on Alyssa's side, so I'm going to put that on her. But uh, we were talking, and uh, she was really offended because uh, the church she had attended had recently changed some things up, and they were now taking tithes and offerings at the beginning of their worship service. And she just thought this was in poor taste, and she was like, I don't know why they were doing this. And, and she said something that I'll, I'll really never forget. It's always stuck with me, something to, to the effect of like, come on, don't ask me to give money 10 minutes into service. At least let me hear the sermon before I decide if I want to give or not. And as a young pastor, uh, this was a long time ago, I just remember thinking like, don't say anything. This isn't the time for that conversation. But I also kind of made a mental note, right? Like, tread carefully when you start to mess with people's money. I, I made another note, too. Like, you know, try to give a good sermon if you're going to take offering afterwards. <laughs> uh, but hopefully, for those of you who have attended CBC for a while, uh, I hope you know that we're not after your money. That's, that's not our goal. If you're just visiting today, I promise, this is the first time we've talked about this in, like, 10 years, we don't always talk about tithing. But at the end of the day, uh, we do think this is worth uh, addressing. Uh, tithing is, is a practice that, for better or worse, has been a, been a big part of church life, not just our church, but church life for, uh, throughout its history. Uh, whether you love the idea of tithing or hate it, I think for most people, tithing is viewed as, as one of the essential components of financial faithfulness. I imagine if you were to ask the, the average Christian, what does it look like to be faithful with, with money? What does God want me to do with my money? I assume a lot of people, or most people, one of the first things they would say is to tithe. And yet at the same time, for as prevalent and pervasive as this is, it's a topic that I think a lot of us uh, misunderstand or even misapply. And so it's important for us to talk about it, to ask some big questions this morning, like what does the Bible actually say about tithing? Is tithing a command that still applies to us today? And if not, what does the Bible say about important questions like who are we supposed to give to and how much practically what does generosity look like? What, does, what is stewardship supposed to look like in real life? And so this morning, I, I want to do two things. First, I want to kind of just explore this larger biblical teaching on tithing. We'll kind of take a whirlwind tour through the Old Testament especially, as well as the, the New Testament, and see kind of the, the intent and purpose of tithing, the reason why God gives the tithe, and kind of see what kind of attitudes and, and, and good practices we can learn from it. 
And then after that, we'll kind of come back to our context and ask these questions. What does the teaching on the tithe mean for us today? Now, just to kind of hint at where we're headed, uh, I gave this message kind of a secret title in my head. If you go on our, our website after this message, this sermon is going to be called Tithing. Riveting, I know. But in my head, what I've been calling this message is why I don't believe in tithing, but I do think that a tithe is a good idea. It's kind of in my brain. And now if that feels kind of confusing, that feels a little overly provocative or maybe controversial, that's great because that's what we're going to talk about. That's where we're headed. We're going to unpack this statement a little bit later, but you can keep that in the back of your mind. So let's go ahead and dive in, and we'll begin with this very simple question that we just need to get out of the way. What is tithing? What type of giving are we specifying when we use the term tithe? Now, to answer that question, I want to go back to the Old Testament story of Israel because this is really where this term originates. Uh, this is in the early stages of, you know, God kind of forming and shaping his people. He's taking them out of Egypt. He's bringing them into the promised land, and now he's giving them the law, this, this picture of what life is going to look like with God as king? What does it look like to live a blessed life, a, a thriving life of obedience? In Leviticus 27, we see a pretty simple, straightforward command regarding money, our stuff. Verse 30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Verse 32, every tithe of the herd or flock Every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. So here we see that a tithe in Scripture is this specific practice of giving one-tenth or 10% or of one's earnings to God. Now, just to be clear, right, there are, are lots of ways that we can give to God outside of this, right? There's a lot of meaningful, acceptable ways that we can be generous, Right? So everything from, you know, if I give my kids like a dollar or two dollars for offering in Sunday school, that's, that's generosity. That's a good thing. If you give, you know, hundred dollars to a to missionary or, or to Olive Crest, if you buy dinner for somebody who's uh, struggling and in need, those are also good things. So that all falls under this larger category of Christian giving. And so the point here isn't that there's only one way to give. But the question we want to wrestle is, what is this specific practice, this idea of giving 10%, this kind of subcategory of giving, why did God call his people to do this? And so as we continue to explore the text, we see some uh, really important reasons for tithing, some benefits that arise out of this practice. Uh, you see, giving 10% wasn't meant to just be like a religious tax. It wasn't God being overly controlling or, or, or needy, but instead at the heart of it, the tithe was a spiritual practice meant to shape people's hearts and attitudes. It was meant to help create the kind of loving and blessed community that God wanted for his people. And there are three principal ways we see this. There's some other stuff involved in the tithe, but here are kind of the three main things that the tithe was meant to do. First, the tithe was a reminder that everything belongs to God. Uh, we talked about this several weeks ago in kind of the very beginning messages of the series, but just this idea of stewardship, right? That when, when Israel brought their tithes to the Lord, they were supposed to remember, 
right? That everything ultimately belongs to him and comes from him. All these blessings, everything they earn, everything they receive, everything that grows, every animal is a gift from God. And so to give to him, to bring back this 10%, was meant to kind of bring them back into this reality so that they would feel a sense of gratitude. They would recognize God's provision. And again, a few weeks ago, we looked at this verse in Deuteronomy 26. And when they would come before the priest with their offering, Moses says, I actually want you to say these words out loud. To say, the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. And so really kind of this practice, right, of, of bringing this 10% to God was a way of teaching Israel reliance on God. The 10% helped them to remember that God had taken care of them. And looking ahead, it was a reminder that even as they gave, even as they showed generosity, that God would continue to provide for them as they walked in obedience. And so at the heart of the tithe is, is God using this practice to shape people's hearts, uh, to know God, to know what he was like, and to experience his provision. Uh, on top of that, the tithe also had some important practical value. For one thing, it was meant to remind people of their responsibility to care for the needs of others. So when the people brought their 10%, when they brought their cows and sheep and grain and oil and all this good stuff, when they brought it to the temple, you know, it's not as if it just like, all floated up to heaven. You know, God's not using this to finance his golden streets and pearly white gates. Instead, all this stuff ultimately went to the ministry uh, of care and justice in the community. Deuteronomy 14.28 says this, At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns, may come and eat and be satisfied. Here God is saying, make sure that the tithe is used so that the poor, the struggling, the downtrodden can eat just as you are able to eat. In a sense, God is saying, hey, I'm going to bless you with more than enough so that you can make sure that everyone else has enough also. And really, when you look through Deuteronomy 14 and 15, this whole section is about God creating all these measures, all these laws, all these guidelines so that the poor are taken care of. Uh, I love what he says in Deuteronomy 15. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. And so the tithe is kind of part of this larger program. Uh, of, again, shaping people's hearts. Not just to know what God is like, but to become a people who, who care for others, who love others, who see the value of compassion. Uh, a third and final purpose for the tithe was kind of related to this, but it supports uh, the leaders of the community of faith, and in this case, that's the Levites and the priests. Now, we won't get into all of this, but basically the Levites and the priests oversaw the ministry of the tabernacle. So they're kind of mediating between God's people and God. They're offering up sacrifices and offerings. They're making sure that the tent of meeting, that everything is as it should be. Uh, 
so that the people can experience God's presence in their community. And so God says, hey, listen, these guys are doing a lot of hard work, so make sure you take care of them. Numbers 18, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. It is the Levites who are to do the work at the tent of meeting and bear the responsibility for any offenses they commit against it. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. They will receive no inheritance among the Israelites. Instead, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. And so essentially the tithe was the way that this kind of serving group was going to be able to make a living. Uh, so again, there are some other things, but from what we can gather, those are some of the, the, the primary, the main purposes of the tithe. Now, this is kind of a side note, but in the interest of full disclosure, I should point out that when we read through these passages, what's interesting is that it doesn't seem like all three of these purposes are met by one tithe, but instead it seems pretty clear that God instructed his people to give three separate tithes. Two of them were given annually. One of them were given every three years. So technically, if we were going to go by the letter of the law, the Old Testament standard for giving is not 10%, but 23 and a third percent of one's income. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Don't shoot the messenger. But let's go ahead and just close in prayer. Just, just kidding. The point is, you know, as we look at these purposes, right, we look at the intent of the tithe, we see that there are good things that we can learn about it, right? Good principles for giving. That it would help to form and shape a people who, who trust God, who know him, and who love others. And one of the important things that we have to recognize, and this is another reason why the tithe has value, is that this kind of forming and shaping, it doesn't happen overnight, right? It's not as if you uh, give one time or you, you give once in a while and automatically you just immediately trust God. Uh, it doesn't happen when we, you know, just give whatever we have left over or give whenever it's convenient. Instead, the tithe reminds us that giving is a discipline, that this kind of growth, that this kind of transformation happens as we train ourselves through this practice. See, the tithe is really important because, you know, it helped them year after year through this discipline giving to experience transformation. And, you know, I think anyone who's tithed for a long time, anyone who, talked, who you talk to who tithes, has experienced, I think, some version of this, that, that, that the best part about it, the way we experience fruit from it, from giving, from, from, from all that God means for us to experience, is this regular, habitual aspect. Uh, Alyssa and I started tithing uh, as a young couple. Like many of you who have been attending for a long time, I grew up uh, listening to Pastor Gary's 10, 10, 80 sermons. And so from the time I was like 14, sitting over there in that back corner, pretending not to listen, but actually listening, you know, I kind of knew in my head, right? Like, okay, I I'm going to tithe when I have money. That's, that's what I'm going to do, because Pastor Gary says so. Now, of course, as I got older, I got, Alyssa and I got married, and, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot. I was in seminary. The reality of giving is, is a lot harder than, you know, just kind of the idea of it. That 10%, you know, feels like a lot when there are a, a lot of other things that you need or a lot of other things you wish you had. And I remember this one time uh, early on in our marriage. We somehow forgot to tithe for 
like three or four months. Now you have to remember, this is before we had like direct withdrawal technology and you know, we would you know, write checks. You guys remember checks? And we would pass around the basket. You remember this little? That's like exactly what it looked like. You guys remember that? Right? After the sermon, not before the sermon. But yeah, so we passed it around. And for some reason, it wasn't intentional. We just went a few months. We either missed, you know, the Sunday we were supposed to tithe or we just forgot our checkbook or something like that. But, you know, we were sitting there and we were looking at our, you know, kind of our money and, and realized, oh, no, we haven't tithed for like four months. And it was just, it's painful. Right? Because it's hard enough to give 10%. But then when you give 10% times four, it's like, that is so much money. And I remember, like, I mean, I was working here. I was a pastor. But there's this temptation to be like, hey, look, like, nobody's going to know. I mean, Steve will know back in the church office. The IRS will know. But, you know, Pastor Gary, he's not going to pay attention to that. Nobody else around here. If we just, we'll start fresh. We'll forget about those four months. Not a big deal. But I remember that moment because that was really the turning point for us in our money. Because for whatever reason, we just were like, no, we, we can't do that. Like, this is something God has called us to do. It's hard, but let's push through. Uh, we can do that. And, and a lot of that rose out of just the, the years that we'd experienced of tithing and seeing God provide. And in the weeks and months that followed after that, what we saw was, God continued to provide. We saw God continue to bless us. And over the years, as we've, we've tithed after that, you know, every year, every, every time an opportunity comes where we can give more or give to a missionary or give to some other thing, it becomes a little bit easier. I mean, it's never like easy, easy, but it's easier because God teaches us, God shapes us. We learn about who he is. We see the fruit that comes out of giving, the way God blesses people through our church and through these other causes that we give to. And I imagine that if you talk to others who have tithed for a long time, you'll hear similar stories. Now, I don't know if people just don't tell me this, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, man, I really regret tithing, or I really regret being generous with God. That was such a waste of money. Can I get it back, please? No one ever asked for refunds for their tithes. But this is ultimately, right, this is kind of the big picture of what the tithe was meant to do for Israel and God's people. Uh, I think this is really the big idea of tithing in the Old Testament. Through long-term, disciplined giving, God shapes us into people who trust him and love others. That's what happens when we give regularly and sacrificially. Now, at this point, of course, everything sounds pretty good. Tithing seems like a slam-dunk practice, but there is a little bit more to the story. And so I just want to briefly fast-forward here to the New Testament. And it's here that we see just some of the shortcomings of the tithe. See, the reality was that in practice, in real life, the tithe didn't always accomplish this purpose. It didn't always create this kind of trust and love, and it didn't always result in the kind of transformation that God intended. And we see this especially in the ministry of the Pharisees and in the way they interacted with and responded to the tithe. And there's one particular confrontation with Jesus in Luke 11 that I want to point us to because it's really interesting and it's instructive as well. Uh, Luke 11, verse 37. It says, When Jesus had finished speaking, 
a Pharisee invited him to speak with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then Jesus said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. Now, this is honestly one of Jesus' most brutal takedowns. He holds nothing back as he just utterly rebukes the Pharisees. And he he calls out their hard-heartedness, especially in relation to their selfishness and and pridefulness that arose out of tithing. See, the Pharisees were ultra-obedient. If you just kind of watched the Pharisees, if you just looked at the surface-level action, they were tithing superstars, right? Like, they're the kid in class who's not just satisfied getting the A, they're doing extra credit, they're turning all these assignments, they're, they're bringing the teacher an apple because they want the A++. Okay, so not only did they give a tenth of their earnings, he says they give a tenth of their, their, their herbs, their spices, the, the things in their garden, every single thing that passes through their life, they're like, I'm giving a tenth of that because God told me to. But see, the problem is once they did that, they're like, okay, that's it, I'm done. I can kick up my heels, think about how awesome I am. I've got the rest of this 90% of my money to spend on myself. I'll buy lavish clothes so I look really good and, you know, the finest oils and perfumes so people think I am blessed. So people think I am the man. And I'm obedient with my money. I've given my 10% of everything, so I'm good. And Jesus turns this all upside down and he says, hey, actually, You're the opposite of obedient. He says, woe to you, a curse upon you, not blessing, because you gave a tenth, but you used the other 90% for yourself, for your own glory, all the while ignoring the poverty and brokenness and the hurt all around you. Not only that, your, your pride led you to think you were better than others as you used your money for yourself. Your complacency made you feel like you didn't have to do anything else because you were done giving. Somehow with the Pharisees, their tithe made them care more about themselves and less about others. And right, this is kind of the epitome of false religion, right? Action without transformation, you know, activity without any real commitment or heart behind it. Now let's be clear, this is not to say that the tithe is bad or that Jesus is against it. What does he say? You should have just done both. Right? You should have given the tithe and cared about others. But he makes a point here about money that's important. That there has to be more to giving than just 10%. Right? 10% in and of itself does not guarantee the kind of heart and transformation that God desires. Ultimately, what it's about is becoming a person who is loving and generous. 
who cares about justice, who cares about blessing others. The intent of the tithe and God's instruction of money was always about this, right? That, that, that we would give this 10%, but that would flow into everything else. That, that would flow into the other 90%. That would flow into the rest of our lives of who we are and what we do with our money, with our time, with everything. And this is important because ultimately the rest of the New Testament follows this model, right? This is what we talked about last week. Pastor Eric talked about this call to generosity, right? To just wholeheartedly, sacrificially bless others with what we have. And throughout the New Testament, the emphasis is never really on a set amount, but on this larger goal that those in need would be cared for, that those with much would gladly give to those with less, and everyone would look for ways to contribute to the needs of others. Right? 1 John 3, 17, if anyone has material possessions, if anyone has enough and sees a brother or sister in need who doesn't have enough and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See, again, this is the larger goal of any Christian giving. And while the story in Scripture begins with 10%, what it ends with is love and justice and sacrifice, not just doing generous things, but becoming generous people. Now that gives us, I think, kind of a larger picture of kind of the, the development of the tithe throughout Scripture. And so now we can kind of come back to our context a little bit and ask some very specific questions. Like, what does this mean for us? How much we give and who we give to and, and why we give? What do I mean when I say that I don't believe in tithing, but I think a tithe is a good idea? Now, there are three important applications I want to hit. Uh, and I think these are three ways that the tithe does speak into our context. We can learn about giving from the tithe, but it's not a complete picture. So first thing, tithing is a good practice, but it isn't a command for the church. Now, before I go any further, I, I do want to say that there are a lot of great people, faithful pastors, who will disagree with this conclusion. Uh, I know for many people, and myself included, tithing has been a really rewarding and meaningful practice. I have benefited from someone saying, you are called to tithe. But at the same time, when I study Scripture, and especially the kind of the New Testament teaching on Scripture, I don't see a clear case for me as your pastor to be able to say that tithing is definitely a command that the church was meant to obey, that we are meant to kind of adopt this practice from the Old Testament, and so it is your obligation, it is your expectation that you would always give 10%. And when you look at New the New Testament teaching, one of the things that stands out that's pretty noticeable is that no one ever says, keep tithing. Right? One of the things that we've talked about in this series is how often the biblical writers in the New Testament talk about money. Jesus did, Paul did, Peter did, James did. All these guys were like, be careful of greed, be generous, make sure that you are faithful with your money. But no one really says, hey, keep tithing. Tithing was a good practice, let's, let's keep doing it. 
And in fact, when you look closely, there's lots of evidence that there's kind of a New Testament guideline that supersedes the tithe. This idea of, of proportionality, that we are called to give according to our means. Uh, we see this first in Jesus' ministry. Uh, in Luke 18, we talked about this a few weeks ago, a, a young man comes up to Jesus and says, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, I have a number for you, 100%. Give everything, sell everything you have to the poor, and then come, follow me. A, a mere chapter later, he, he talks to Zacchaeus, and he commends him for giving away 50%. He also uh, pays back those that he's cheated uh, by four times. Rather than emphasizing a one-size-fits-all approach, Jesus looks at each person and asks, what does real generosity, what does real repentance, what does real commitment look like for you? Perhaps even more telling is Paul's instruction on giving in 2 Corinthians. And this is kind of a confusing uh, passage, but Paul basically is, is writing this letter to believers in Corinth, and he's asking them, hey, will you give to this collection in, uh, in, in Jerusalem. These, these believers there are struggling. I want you to give. And he doesn't mention 10%. He doesn't mention the tithe. He, he, but he says this really interesting thing in chapter 8. He says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, right, someday their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. Here's what uh, scholar Craig Blomberg says about this passage. At the risk of belaboring the obvious, unless every person in a given Christian community had exactly the same needs and the same resources all the time, no fixed percentage could ever legislate generosity. All other things being equal, a person in the United States in the early 2010s earning only $20,000 a year in after-tax income might find it a huge burden to give 10% or $2,000 to God's work in the world, while the person earning $200,000, again, after-tax income, and giving only 10%, $20,000, might find it difficult to justify before God any claim to be generous. And I think this is an interesting idea because it speaks to the reality of our context in our world. And both Paul and Blomberg recognize a problem with 10% as the standard for giving. See, on one hand, for, for many people, 10% is just too much. Now, we see in Scripture places where God kind of, or Jesus, praises those who give sacrificially, even the poor. This is not to say that the poor don't have to give. But there are times when 10% creates a hardship that God didn't intend. And you know, when you think about the Old Testament tithe, there were times when some people were not meant to give the tithe, but they were meant to receive it. Right? Think about the widows, the orphans, the foreigners. They were the ones who were supposed to be the recipients of the tithe rather than those giving it. I think even more important and more challenging for our context is the other side of the equation. What Paul says and what Blomberg says is that oftentimes 10% is actually far too little. That for those who have much, 10% is, is kind of a low bar when we think about being generous. 
And in fact, this is one of the, the biggest criticisms of the tithe in, in today's culture, is that at times it be, can become a little bit of a crutch for those who have a lot. And, and I wouldn't say that anyone here has, you know, the attitudes of a Pharisee or anyone is Pharisee-like, but it can be easy, I think, uh, I've done this myself, to kind of have that mentality of like, hey, I, I, I gave my 10%, so like, I'm good. You know, there's so much of spiritual life that's hard and I'm going. It's like I struggle to read my Bible and pray every day. I struggle with all these different things and, and I want to go here. But hey, this 10% thing, I, at least I can do that. That's, that's done with. I'm good. I, I, I've been faithful with my money. But all the while, we, we're numb or oblivious to the needs around us. The point is, is that in the New Testament, the goal never seems to be a number, but this ongoing question. This honest evaluation for each person individually, what do I have and what do others need and what does God want me to do about that? Now this brings us to our second application for tithing. And again, this is kind of just my my opinion, my interpretation of what we've been talking about. But 10% can be a good starting point as long as the goal is radical generosity. So if you're just starting out or if you're thinking about giving, maybe throughout this you know, series you've been like convicted, like, okay, I'm going to start giving. I'm going to be more generous with my money. I'm going to come uh, next Sunday and I'm going to start tithing. And then you show up and Pastor Barron says, no, actually, don't tithe. You're like, okay, how much should I give? Like, where do I start? You know, just give me something. Help me out here. And honestly, I do think this is where the idea of a tithe just has practical value for us. While I wouldn't say every single person, no matter the circumstances, has to give 10%, I would say for every single person, 10% is a a good idea if you're not sure where to start. A tithe of your income is a practical way to start giving. And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? Like in a lot of situations, in most cases, for most Christians, 10% is doable. You know, we have generations and generations of Christians who have been giving 10%, and that tends to be a, a doable number. I think 10% is also helpful because it's a, just a consistent, clear, nice, round number to aspire to. It's a number that helps us with planning and, and budgeting and saving. And ultimately, it's challenging. Like 10% is, is still a lot. Even though the the New Testament might say, consider giving more, let's not pretend that 10% isn't a number that's worth aspiring to if you're not giving that much already. And so again, as much as 10% is a good starting point, uh, the goal, again, is this question, right? Like, what does God really want me to do? If you start with 10% and you realize, like, hey, maybe it could be more. This has kind of been the convicting thing for me uh, as I've been studying for this series, as I've been preparing this message. I'm reading all these books about money, and there are these guys who are like, you know, I started off at 10%. A few years, I pushed it to 20. I'm at, you know, 55% now. And these guys are like me. They're like pastors, right? They're authors. Like, okay, I'm giving 55% now or 40% now. And I'm not saying you should do that. I'm not, I'm not doing that. But it's, it's challenging to look at what generosity might look like when we push ourselves to focus, again, not on a number, but on how God calls us to live and be generous. 
C.S. Lewis says this, there ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. Blomberg says God's people should give generously from their surplus and be ruthlessly honest about how much is surplus. And I think this is the idea, is that we are ruthlessly honest with ourselves about how much we can give. Now this leads us to a final question, and, and I'll end uh, with this one, or a final application. And that's that giving uh, to the church, uh, it's supposed to say giving, not tithing. Giving to the church is important, but so is a wider view of generosity. So I think one of the things that we see in Scripture is a really big, wide vision for how we're called to be generous. Right? Not just giving to the church, but giving to those in need. Caring for our friends and family who have less. Supporting the ministry of leaders and missionaries. Looking out for the marginalized and the hurting in our society. Caring for and stewarding creation. Healing the sick and broken. And one of the big challenges for all of us, right, is that giving uh, is hard because there are a lot of good reasons to give. A lot of needs in the world that we see. And we can't meet every need. And in a sense, you know, 10% to the church, close the books up, that's easy, you know, to some degree. What's much harder is kind of this individual, radical generosity where we each ask the Spirit to lead us to be generous and to see needs and to consider how we can meet them. So what do we do? How do we decide who to give to now, on one hand, I do think there is reason to be generous with the church. I'm only going to make this one plug, and I don't want to belabor this point. But I do think it matters. Uh, I do think it is something we're called to do. And the reason isn't because, you know, you have to. The reason isn't because, you know, you'll feel guilty if you don't, or somebody will judge you if you don't, or your church leaders won't love you if you don't give. But the reason why we give to the church is because we believe that the church is the vessel through which God's kingdom is at work. Right? Ultimately, we believe that there's nowhere like the church where we and others can experience God's presence. There's nowhere like the church where we can experience his goodness and blessing, where we can be in community and be loved unconditionally by God and others. There's nowhere like the church where those who are lost and hurting can have their deepest needs met. And while no church does this perfectly, we certainly don't. This is why we exist. This is our goal. This is what we hope to do each and every Sunday, each and every week, whenever we gather together, is to be the kingdom of God at work in our broken world. And really, our hope for what that means for you is obviously way bigger than just money, right? The investment we want you to make in that is to care, right? To, to care about what the church is, to invest in it, to, to come and worship, to be in community, to serve, to look for ways to care for and love the lost. But at the same time, we do hope that you give simply because you believe in the church. Right? The same way that we believe in the church, we, you, you believe that it's vital, you believe that it matters, and that you know, giving would be an easy choice because it flows out of your love for this place. And the hard reality, right, is that ultimately God is responsible for the growth of the church, but your generosity matters. 
Uh, it matters, right? The church can't exist without the generosity of its people. And so I, I don't necessarily think it's about a number, but it is about looking for ways to be generous. Uh, but I will say this at the same time, uh, I think it's important that we don't limit our generosity to the church. Again, that we don't have this perspective of, like, okay, 10%, write my check to CBC, and that's it. Right? The New Testament picture is wider than that. It's bigger than that. My hope for us is that we would be a church that is generous, not just within these walls, but outside these walls as well, to give where there are needs, and again, to be obedient to the Spirit, to be asking how has God created me to be generous? What kinds of people and, and causes has God specifically hardwired me to care about and give to? And I don't know exactly what the perfect mix of church giving and outside giving is. That's, that's not a number I can give you because I don't think that's a number Scripture gives us. But my prayer is simply that God would expand your view of generosity everywhere you are, and that you would consider both how can I love my church, but also how can I be the church in the world around me with my money. And so as we close this series, I think this, this question ultimately brings together everything we've talked about. Right? How we earn, how we spend, how we save, it all comes down to what is our commitment to generosity? What do we believe really matters about what we do with our money? And how can we make this call uh, to love God and love people the foundation of our financial lives? Let's pray together.